Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. As we welcome you along uh, to the programme and yet... Um, waking up this morning to another dreadful road uh, tragedy and once again it's a, a, a really bad road tragedy in County Tipperary where we're hearing uh, two grandparents and their little three-year-old grandson died. It was a single vehicle crash near uh, Cashel. The grandparents are described as being in their 40s. Uh, they were in the back of the car and I'm assuming their little grandson was in a rear seat passenger uh, as well. Happened around nine o'clock uh, last night and then the driver of the car, uh, a man and a woman in his in their 20s they are who I'm assuming are the parents of the little boy uh, because they're all one family they're being treated for very serious uh, um, injuries and obviously that road is closed so our thoughts with the family and I saw uh, the Clamell Parish Priest Father Michael uh, Toomey who's been featured on news bulletins I saw him he was one of the main priests at the the vigil that was held last uh, Sunday night uh, in Clamell he posted up on social media obviously thoughts and prayers with all those who died in the crash last night in Cashel and of course it's just coming days after uh, the people of Tipperary still reeling and the, the people of Ireland still reeling from the four young people who were killed on uh, Friday night and their um, the start of their funerals uh, is tomorrow so it's just so so much uh, sadness uh, so we think of the family today and may those grandparents and that little boy rest in peace and to just hope that the the two the the, the two in their in the were in the front of the car the couple in their 20s that they go on to make a full recovery but just devastating for uh, that family involved. 0862103103 our texts and uh, whatsapps are welcomed uh, this morning we will in a couple of minutes uh, be talking about the electoral commission their report came out at eight o'clock uh, this morning, which was it, which was tasked with recommending how many TDs should be in the next doll. Of course, this is all to do with the fact that uh, the changes were needed because our population has grown since twenty sixteen, since from one census. So the last year's census, our population has grown by 8%. There's now more than 5.15 million people. And of course, under the Constitution, it states that there has to be at least one TD per 
20 to 30,000 people. So that's why these changes were needed. So we'll be talking about the changes and how they affect us here in uh, Cork. Your thoughts welcomed uh, on that. But I suppose a little bit of good news with the cost of living crisis in that at least now they're at this stage they're just saying at least one 200 euro energy uh, credit uh, will be given out in budget uh, 2024. It'll get announced in October and, and I'm assuming that that energy credit will be given out sooner rather than later once the budget is announced. The measure looks set to be brought back again because, of course, uh, they, they, there was a number of them. There was three of them last year totaling at €600 at Euro over the winter months. So it's looking like now the government are very much going to go down that road again. Now, there had been talks of a fourth um, energy credit being given out, but seemingly it was, the, according to the Irish Independent today, the Green Party were very resistant uh, to... To it, and that's why we didn't get a fourth. But they've no res- resistance to giving at least one energy credit, even though I think with the cost of electricity at the moment, I think families are going to need more than one. A 200 euro uh, energy credit. Now obviously the budget negotiations are all underway at the moment. We do know that there is a 12 billion euro surplus in the Exchequer so they do have a little bit of wriggle uh, room. Uh, while there will be some cost of living supports housing is expected to be the big fo- focus with help for both renters and landlords looking likely to be on the cards. The Department of Finance and Public Expenditure are said to be conservative as you in their negotiations, even though already 6.4 billion of new spending and tax cuts, that's already been uh, signalled, but they nearly have that again to play around with. A working group of civil servants now have been set up between the departments of housing and finance and they'll obviously thrash out all of the options, particularly around tax cuts for landlords. There's been a lot of talk about giving tax cuts to landlords in an attempt to try to keep them in the market. I think the thought pattern is going to be with the smaller landlords than our talking about the bigger landlords who, you know, who could have hundreds of properties, but they're talking about the landlords who might have one, maybe two properties. They're the ones who are exiting the market. They're the ones we need to keep in. So the Finance Minister, Michael McGrath, he says the economy now was pretty much at full capacity. Uh, he is being conservative though because he said he doesn't want to push inflation back uh, in any material way. So he's been conser- he's been quite conservative in how money will be uh, spent. But pressure is also mounting for an investigation into the failure of the big energy companies to start to cut their prices. And this now is amongst some are accusing them of anti-competitive practices. The major electricity and gas suppliers have so far failed to reduce their prices for households and that's despite the wholesale cost falling and has been falling now for a number of months. So the state-funded think tank, the ESRI, they're among those seeking an investigation into the suppliers and they're calling it out and saying we need to investigate to see is there any anti-competitive behaviour going on, especially if the retail prices don't start to fall and don't start to fall soon. Sinn Féin's Pierre Staherty, he has written to the energy regulator calling for a sustained, intensive and intrusive supervision of the prices retail energy companies are charging, particularly in the context of the falling wholesale energy prices. And also in the papers today, see Michael Kilcoyne, who is chairman of the Consumers Association of Ireland, he said that the electricity market, he described it as being dysfunctional and he said it's not working for consumers. He said energy companies are making massive profits on the generation side and they're benefiting from a sharp fall in wholesale energy costs. Yet they failed 
to cut prices to householders. Only Pinergy, they, they're the only ones that have cut residential prices. And in fairness to Pinergy, they've done it twice. Uh, the ESB's Electric Ireland subsidiary, they um, have reduced prices for businesses, but they haven't reduced prices for uh, householders. And remember, the ESB, their profits last year were 847 million. So they were close to topping a billion in profits last year. And that was after the ESB imposing a succession of huge price hikes on householders and and businesses. And it, it is, of course, the largest, the country's biggest energy uh, supplier. An ESRI report last month said international research showed reductions in wholesale prices did not get passed on at the same rate as increases do. And isn't that always the case? As soon as there's an increase on the wholesale price, the price that we pay, same happens at the petrol stations as well. They go up immediately. But when we're looking for anything to come down, it seems to come down so much more slowly. So the ESRI are are suggesting that anti-competitive behaviour may be going on. So we will watch this space with great interest because I think everybody is dreading going into the winter months with massive electricity bills. So good to see that the government is going to give at least one €200 electricity credit but I have a funny feeling they're going to need to give more. The number of TDs in the next doll could have risen by as many as 21 from the current 160 and of course this is in response to an increase in our population this morning. The Electoral Commission have delivered its highly anticipated review of the doll constituencies and casting their eyes over it for us is a North Cork councillor Garode Murphy and West Cork based uh, Senator Tim Lambert. Good morning gentlemen. Good morning. Good morning, and, you, and you're very welcome. Um, Tim, let me start with you. Is this one of the most important reforms of the electoral system in quite some time? Yeah, look, when you look at the actual changes, 14 seats coming to Dáil, population changes of huge, uh, like population of Ireland can over by 5.2 million. But for Cork, it's really significant. Two extra seats going from 18 to 20. Um, really major changes in boundaries. Not really in Cork's West, no change there. But like places like North Central have seen dramatic changes. Having places like Ballincollig and Mallow now becoming part of Cork North Central. East Cork has really changed as well regarding its geographical area. And uh, North West has a real major change with Ballincollig, which has been a part of North West for about a few times, going back nearly 20 years, has now gone into Cork North Central. And that does seem like a natural fit, doesn't it? It does. Like when the boundaries of the Cork City and County were announced there maybe about four years ago now, Ballincolly became a part of Cork City Council. So it was an outlier, but it was also an outlier in the population area. Like uh, Ballincolly was roughly around 1.8% of Cork Northwest, but with the population of nearly 20%. So it really was a little tag on from the city that just geographically or mathematically fitted the population of Cork Northwest. Now it's been changed. It's going across River Lee, it's going to Cork North Central, and it's becoming a new five-seater in Cork North Central, which will be really interesting because, look, you have people like Sean Sherlock from Mallow coming down, you have Colin Burke now, who would have been involved in Cork North Central, also involved. So it really is an interesting constituency. Yeah, um, let me, uh, Garod, I spoke with you because you put in a, like a very, very extensive uh, submission in to the uh, commission. Um, are you seeing this as a bit of a missed opportunity? Because it's a lot of what you had suggested wasn't included. 
Yeah, um, I would, to be honest. Like, as Tim said, there were some sensible changes, such as Balancholic going in with Cork City, which I think, like, the writing had really been on the wall for since Balancholic went in with Cork City Council. Um, but as far as North Cork is concerned, to be honest, I am disappointed. And it is hard to see, you know, it certainly didn't show the imagination or vision for the county that I would have liked. I can appreciate one of the terms of reference is continuity between the old and the new. I can understand that. But at the same time, there are definitely areas that they could have be done better on. And it really looks like they completely ignored my own submission. It, but really, most of the submissions um, which recommended changes to the boundaries between the rural constituencies, they also ignored the element of my submission that Mallow should not be split off from its natural rural hinterland. Um, it's now actually split off, I would say, even more so than it was before the redraw. To be honest, my sense looking at it, reading between the lines, is that the Commission was hell-bent on realigning the boundary of the two city-based constituencies to the Lee, and frankly, completely indifferent after that as to what actually happened to the county area in terms of the social or physical geography. There's a yeah, real sense just in terms that, of yeah, any, uh, my own town that Mallow's been forgotten about. Any political commentators that I had heard speaking, you know, and obviously a lot were, were speculating as to what the Electoral Commission uh, would recommend. And a lot of people felt that one of the city constituencies would have got an extra seat, but one of the extra seats would have gone into the county. And that really isn't what has happened. The two extra seats have both gone into the city. Yes, and the commission did address it in its report. It said because of population, mass, etc. Um, and actually, my own submission, funny as it is, did actually recommend that both seats go to the city too. Um, although there would certainly have been arguments to be made that putting one extra seat into Cork Northwest, for example, one extra seat into uh, East Cork, that would have, or something like that, it, it might, may have allowed for a more natural um, geography in relation to the boundaries between county constituencies. It, it does, like, it, it is mainly, I suppose, there there are some there are some positives as far as the Cantorc Mallow Municipal District is concerned. Before the redraw, it was split between three different all constituencies, Cork East, Cork Northwest and Cork North Central, Whereas now it's really only, it's only into one. Cork yeah, North Central yeah, yeah, and yeah. Cork Northwest. Um, actually, let me bring in uh, Tim just talking on uh, Cork Southwest, which remains as a three-seater constituency. I was listening on the news uh, there with Barry that uh, Independent All Deputy for West Cork, uh, Michael Collins, is very disappointed. He was hoping that that would uh, that the Cork Southwest would expand to a four-seater constituency and bring in areas like Enniskeen, Newcastle, Castletown, Kenna, and the northern part of Dunmanway, which really would identify as being part of a West Cork constituency. Would you Would you agree, Tim? Yeah. Look, there was a big debate, in particular around Bandon, north side of ba on the northern side of Bandon, and you know, Enniskeen, Dunmanway, all the way into kind of places like Temple Martin, all these areas. Like geographically, they would always come to Bandon as their main shopping town. They've been a part of Cork Northwest for decades now at this stage, so there always has been that debate. But I do think, like as much as this is about geography, it's about Max, and I think you know when you look at the actual figures, we're kind of in a variant. They also have a variant of plus or minus five percent. Majority, if not all, of the constituencies in Cork now are in that actual variant itself. So, like Cork North, uh, Cork Southwest is a variant of plus point. Um, 4.25. 
So like we're kind of in that there and we're, we're, we're very high, but we're not over the 5%. I just think this was like, you're, this, when they looked at Cork, they looked at Cork as one entity and they put two extra seats in there. And you're probably right. They actually started in the River Lee because it became very obvious that they realigned both Cork North Central and Cork South Central off the back of that coast, off the River Lee. And they went five seats north and five seats south. Mm-hmm. And they moved down in Caligwitted. I do think there's a huge issue in East Cork. I think East Cork has been hugely changed. Like Mallow has been a part of East Cork with, with decades. Now we're having Mallow as a part of Cork North Central. Which would kind of mean that you could have, traditionally East Cork was two seats north one and two seats in the east. It's potentially three seats in the east and one seat in the north for the first time ever. Um, but like from Cork's West point of view, it kind of is where it is. Population grew, it grew by quite a lot, but it didn't go over that 5%. So even with the 5% variant, it was nearly on or about that it wasn't going to change because the max didn't allow yeah. it. Um, let me bring, Garo, do you, do you feel that some voters are going to feel very disenfranchised? I mean, I'm thinking in particular, uh, I think it's about 15,500 voters between Mallow North Urban and Mallow South Urban are now moving from Cork East into Cork North Central. Do you feel they're going to feel very disenfranchised? Yeah, I, I do, to be honest. Um, like I said, it is disappointing. And, you know, there's my fear is that Mallow will be left with no TD after the next election. It really depends on the permutations and combinations of how it works out. But there's such a critical mass of population in Cork City. Uh, Mallow really is on the periphery. And to be honest, I take uh, Senator's point that Mallow was in with uh, Cork East for... A number of decades and that's fine M- my own view is it would have been much better to have mallow if not at the center of a north car constituency like i proposed okay granted that would have been a radical change but if not that then it should have gone into north Cork northwest because mallow is really whether the dial boundaries reflected or not it's the center it's the economic center at uh, the social center of north cork and to have it in northwest would reflect that status and it would reflect its own natural linkages with the rest of the Kentork Mallow Municipal District as far as local government is concerned and just with North Cork in general. Incidentally, just a little tidbit there, uh, Senator pointed out that, um, or he, he said that there was, uh, it had never been before that there's one from the north and three from the south. That's North actually Cork. the position at the moment. It is, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Traditionally, yeah. Okay. Yeah, Tim. Yeah, traditionally, like, like, yeah, right. Tr- I, I, at the moment, it's three one. Yeah, but traditionally, it is two and two, is, two. Yeah, and there, there's another right. area that needs to be mentioned uh, as well, or areas uh, in that there is a transfer in from Cork East to Cork Northwest for Ballyclaw, Butterfant, Cahardogan, Donnerail, and Kilmaclean. Um, Jared, w- would you think that was a good move? Yes, to be honest, I would. Um, They'll identify uh, more at, with Cork Northwest. Um, yeah, I think it's more of a natural fit. If you yeah. looked at the uh, first of all, the municipal district boundaries, the local government boundaries are uh, more similar to that. Yeah. Secondly, if you just look in terms of geography of the old Cork East, it was really almost similar to the current position where Mallow and surrounding areas were just there to make up the numbers. It jutted out just to get Butterfant. Uh, there's no 
world, in my view, where Mallow and Charleville should not be in the same constituency. They're both at the centre of North Cork, but yet they're still both in different constituencies. My hope is maybe in the future, they might at a future redraw because the city population is, of course, growing very rapidly. They might possibly put Cork or, or Mallow in with what is now the rest of central and west North Cork. Um, Only time will tell. But, OK, listen. I'm, yeah, I'm, the, I'm another just, issue actually uh, with it is that um, Cork South Central is not the only um, constituency that is overweight, like over the constitutional weight in population. Uh, Kerry is also over that. And with, they remain uh, 156. The same. And yeah, and, there, and there, there's no change in Kerry. Listen, just before I let you go, I mean, obviously, you know, as I mentioned at the outset, all of this is to do with the increase in the population under the Constitution. Uh, it, it states that uh, we should have one TD per 20 and 30,000 uh, people. I was listening to Simon Harris during the week and he would support the idea of holding a referendum on limiting the number of TDs in the Dáil in the future. Because if we don't, um, Tim, do we just continue to increase the numbers based on a growing population? Completely and I think Simon Harris is dead right. We're looking at a scenario that we are going to see two doll deputies potentially added per year with our population growth. So like when they do the next review you'll be adding another 10 TDs to doll and continuous on that line. So I personally believe we need to have a set figure and then walk around that set figure. It'll take a constitutional amendment for that to happen. But I think that's where we, that's where we need to go. Would you agree as well, Gerard? I would be slow to buy into any populist narrative personally that, you know, we should have fewer politicians, you know, regardless of, you know, that it's it's the one goal we should be looking at, be all and end all. I mean, it's a complicated matter. I think, first of all, if you look at Ireland's electorate per member of parliament, it's actually quite normal compared with other countries of similar similar size in Europe. For example, in Norway, the average electorate per MP is about 32,000. In Finland, it's about 27, 28,000. In Denmark, it's 33,000. Slovakia, 36. Croatia, 27. Yeah, because I think when people compare us... It's 20,000 Yeah, I think when people compare us to the the UK and to England in particular, you can't compare like with like because the population base is is so completely different. Yeah, I do think, though, what what I will say is I I do think that there is a case that as we expand in population, I, I do think there is a limit. I will agree with that. I don't particularly, the Minister Harris's comments came off the back of suggestions which were actually made by Art O'Leary, the Chief Executive of the Electoral Commission. And frankly, I think Mr O'Leary's comments were very political coming from an unelected bureaucrat. Um, It's really a matter for the Doyle and obviously Simon Harris is himself a TD. But I, I think if we do Look at it. First of all, it's set out in the constitution, and the constitution is very hard to change for a reason. Well, that, yeah, and that's so that, why we'd have to have a referendum on it, and it would then it would be the people would absolutely. decide. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, listen, I, I, I have fully to agree there. with I, that's how you would change it, of okay. course. But if we were to do it, then I think what we should do is we should. I mean, you can't have if we went up to. 50 million in population, you can't have 160 TDs, yeah, you have to yeah. have more. For sure. So you sure. need to set a kind of uh, uh, maybe some sort of, uh, you need to you, I'd certainly be open myself to in, increasing the ratio as we expand in population, but 
I think it would have to be, uh, you know, it would have to be after detailed study. Okay. And I'm going, I'm going to have, have to, to expand it. I'm as going to have to, r- have to wrap it up there, um, gentlemen, because I'm over on time. But thank you both. And uh, thank you both for joining us this morning. Thank you. Good morning, morning to you. Bye bye. Uh, Councillor Groad Murphy and uh, Senator Tim Lombard casting their eye over the Electoral Commission and their recommendation now that for the next doll it will go from 160, which is the current number of TDs, to 174 with two extra TDs for us here in Cork. As students all over the country head back into the classrooms for the start of the new school term, we unfortunately still have the problem with lack of seats on school buses and in some cases no buses at all. One secondary school in Kinsale is calling on Bus Aram to provide a bus for students attending the school. Virgil McCarthy is the principal of Kinsale Community School and Virgil joins me uh, this morning. Good morning to you, Virgil. Good morning, Patricia. And, and you're very welcome. Now, I believe that this concerns students from the Ballinhasic uh, area that are without a bus. How many students are we talking about here? 30. 30 students. And, and it, it's not a problem that has been confined to Ballinhasic. It appears to be a movable feast. A number of years ago, it was Manan Bridge, Belgooley, Riverstick area. Then it was around the Dundero area for a period of time. And the difficulty rests in the concessionary ticket, okay. which is, is it, 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 it's a form of ticket that should really be um, dispensed with. Because once a child commits to coming to a school, um, and once that child commits to coming to that school, let's say in first year, well, then I have a commitment that I will be making a place for that child in our school until they reach adulthood and complete their leaving cert with us. School transport, on the other hand, will say, well, you haven't ticked all of the criteria in respect of getting a bus ticket, so we give you a concessionary this year, but it's subject to annual review which means that the child could be in second year, third year, fourth year or fifth year and suddenly find themselves being refused a ticket now because there's a child that meets all all of the criteria going to take the place from them. So it's really, really unfair. I, I remember having a parent on last year. I mean, I, I do these interviews every year with parents, but I remember a parent last year whose daughter was going into leaving search, which is a stressful enough uh, time of the year. And she lost out Now, she, for every year up to going into leaving search. She'd managed to get a concessionary ticket last year, lo and behold. Sorry, no seat on the bus, on the bus for you. And, and this particular mother ended up having to go part time with her job in order to drive her daughter to and from school. I mean, ludicrous situation. Absolutely. And I mean, the, the commitment that I give to the child at first year, you'll see your leave, you'll, we'll see you through to getting your leaving cert in our school. That commitment needs to be made by school transport as well. And it's not as if the ch- that it's a single incident in respect of a household, because you could have three children from the same household or four children from the same household, all with concessionary tickets. So the the upheaval that can happen in that type of situation is is really really hard on a family to have to reorganise and 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 incur additional expenses such as reducing their hours at work, purchase of a second car, um, and 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 quite often it's 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 even more complicated than that. And I was really disappointed by school transport's response to this last week, which was, um, well, then let them go to Carrigaline or let them go to Rochester. The fact of the matter is that there was no bus from where they lived to either of those two school settings. And if you've got a critical mass of people, such as 30, 
who want to go to a school, who are enrolled in that school and who are in various um, stages of that school, well, then it's not available to school transport to quite simply say, well, listen, go to a different school. But you see, I, see I, I, I absolutely take um, huge umbrage to a bus company dictating to any child or any family what school their child should attend. Absolutely. And, and it's not the function of school transport. Children and families make decisions around where they will attend for a variety of reasons. Yeah. Yeah. And, and if you look at, you know, a 21st century educational experience for a child is where a school intimately knows what the child's needs are in respect of their ambition, in respect of um, what their learning styles are and so on. So, so that whole file of assessment, that whole file of individual educational planning, you can't quite simply say, oh, you've got to go to another school. That other school will not be in a situation that they're prepared um, to meet the educational needs of that child. Yeah, and that other school might necessarily have the subject choices That's right. of the school that you want your son or daughter to go to or that your son or daughter uh, wants to go to. And then getting parents to drive their children to school instead is only adding to traffic on our already busy roads at a time when we're all being asked to make less journeys. None of this adds up. None of it adds up. And, and in particular, I mean, the... the the children are really exercised by that whole environmental piece more than any other sector of our society. Children are more exercised by it and about climate change and biodiversity and so on. So it's really important for the adults to make good decisions around this. Um, and, and, and children need to be supported in respect of it. But the, 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 the big issue here is children who are being, uh, who, who have stress visited upon them, families who have stressed visited upon them to meet um, school transport where there shouldn't actually be an issue at all. I mean, the, the school transport system is there since the mid-60s. Um, it, it, it should be sophisticated enough to withstand that. I mean, I had a parent in with me this morning who got an email last night at 7 o'clock to say that the bus won't be running from Belgooli this morning and won't be running for the foreseeable future. So that parent had to make alternative arrangements to get their child to come to school. I dare say that there are children who perhaps didn't pick up that email last night who haven't yet to make their way to school. Um, Standing on the side of the road wondering why the bus isn't isn't coming. And I did read a piece in the paper that Bus Aaron are are this late stage scrambling to get buses and bus drivers. It seems a bit late in the day, doesn't it? It does seem a bit late in the day, but I I, I would say anecdotally that we are picking up from a variety of sources that a lot of people are opting out of being taxi drivers for the child, for, for children with um, learning difficulties um, and that bus companies are finding it really, really difficult to get um, bus drivers and to get buses. You also, Patricia, had a really, really difficult situation last year where the minister in good faith may, decided to waive bus ticket fees and what that meant was that people who would never have ordinarily used the buses applied for it and it put a huge pressure mm-hmm. on the system and that left people then in the concessionary ticket area who had been committed to a school and who were in second year, third year, fourth year of the school scrambling now to know what in God's name would they do to get to school. So where, where are the students at? Are all the discretionary tickets now given out at this stage or are they, is there still hope? Well, what, what I've called upon school transport to do, in particular for the children in Balanasic, is to rather than redirect them to, to, to a school that there is no bus service to, 
that isn't any closer to them than what we are, to simply put a bus on and respect the choices that those parents have made with regards to the school that they wish to send their child to. Ballyheda is a feeder primary school of our school, mm-hmm. and that's a school that, that, um, that's central to, 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 to where this issue uh, relates to. So what I'm calling on the school transport system is just please put another bus on to allow for these children to be able to come to school and to relieve the parents in, 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 in the situation that we're talking about to relieve them of the pressure and stress that relates to it. Yeah, to go to the school that they want to exactly. go to. Are you back fully open, Fergal, we at the stage? We are. We're back, we're back since last Wednesday. Wednesday is the 23rd of August. Oh, are you? Okay. Yeah. But you, you staggered it. Is that we staggered it, yeah. it. We staggered it. We'd leaving certs in on Wednesday, leaving certs first years in on Thursday, um, leaving certs first years, fifth years, second years on uh, Friday and transition years and everybody's back now. Okay, right. And, you know, obviously there was that dreadful tragedy in, in Clonmel. That seemed to have affected students all over the country. Did, did your own students talk about it? They did. Did they? And, and, uh... and, and whatever, I mean, the, the class of 2023 has really been bedeviled by the, this type of tragedy at all of the milestone events for a Leaving Cert student. Those two young gentlemen who didn't come home from Greece on their Leaving Cert holiday, the two beautiful young girls in Monaghan who went out and their dad driving them to go to their Debs. And then these four individuals, three Leaving Cert students celebrating their results. Celebrating their Leaving Cert results. It's just such a catalogue of tragedy. And the thing about it is none of us are immune to it. Yeah. It could happen in any one of our towns and settings. Thank God we, 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 we don't have it. But there, there are families that will never get over the type of tragedy that the Leaving Cert class of 2023 have had to endure in those milestone events which should are ordinarily characterised by being joyful, celebratory, rites of passage, and it's just it's just so heartbreaking yeah. that um, that that has fallen their way. You know, yeah, you're right, you're right. You, you can't help but we'll, we'll remember the class of twenty three for very sad reasons, That's unfortunately. Right. Listen, pleasure as always to talk and to you, thank you Fergal. Uh, thanks a million, and good thank, luck. Good luck with Boss Ayrt. Um That's uh, Fergal McCarthy who joins us. He is the principal of Kinsale uh, Community School, really fighting hard on behalf of his uh, pupils. A lot of your thoughts and comments coming in this morning. Let me get to uh, some of them on the bus issue that I spoke with Fergal McCarthy. What a lovely principal, isn't he, from Kinsale Community College uh, really fighting on behalf of 30 of his students who, who are without seats on the bus uh, this year, particularly from the Ballinhasic uh, area. Um, and I did see a piece on the paper today where bus airing are scrambling for buses and for bus drivers. Somebody says, Patricia, there are plenty of bus drivers out there that would love to do the work, would love to be driving school buses. The only problem is they've reached the age of 70 and therefore they're not allowed to drive for bus air and they're fit, they're healthy, they can drive a bus for a private bus company but bus airing will not allow. That's been going on for years Uh, and I've known of and spoken with bus drivers over the years who were forced to resign at 70, very fit, healthy 70 year olds who remained driving buses 
well into their 70s with the private company but weren't allowed to drive a school bus and some of them were heartbroken because they loved uh, driving school buses. Yeah, so I, it still doesn't make any sense uh, to me uh, either and there's a lot of people would agree with you on that. Thank you for your text. Patricia, the cost of living is gone out of control. The government don't seem to have a clue of what's going on on the ground. I'll give you an example. My car is almost empty of petrol today. Guess what? I can't afford to even put 10 euro into it. Anyway, 10 euro wouldn't get me very far with the price of petrol and diesel at the moment. It simply won't last long. I can't drive my car because I simply can't afford the fuel. There is no competition going on with the fuel prices amongst the garages. And then we've got the government adding extra from this uh, Friday with excise uh, duty. It is crazy. And just on fuel, Patricia, the government needs to urgently sort the cost of fuel, the garages and the cost of energy in the home as a priority. The people are still waiting. The 20 cent reduction on excise duty was a joke and now they are taking it back. And it is easy, says Jerry, for the government to have billions because of the VAT they're taking back back from the misery of the Irish people. People who are not getting any assistance from the government. It's shocking, but an election is looming. The government need not blame energy companies. Government failed to regulate the energy sector and they've no intention of doing so. Why? Because they make billions out of every energy bill we pay uh, with VAT, etc. Now, there was others in on what I mentioned, the energy credits, and it's looking like at least one €200 energy credit is going to be given this winter if not more. Jim says, I'm sorry now, Patricia, but we don't need any of these handouts for electricity or for gas. What the government need to do is to start bringing pressure on the utility companies to reduce their prices. Uh, But then why would they? The government have a huge stake in electricity in Ireland and think of all the lovely tax they get via VAT on every bill we pay. By giving these handouts, the government is simply facilitating these companies to keep the prices high. Kind regards, that's from Jim. Lehman Bandon says we have an option with, we've no option with electricity uh, prices because Liam says even if you switch, there isn't a lot of savings to be made. Liam switched and he said he initially got an introduction bonus which provided him with credit for the first few months. But he said after that, he said my bill is uh, similar to what it was with the previous company. Yeah, we've, we've seen and heard about that uh, for quite some time. There's That's because electricity is so high, there's very little difference. Well, that's why Pinergy now this They've offered their second cut and then there's that, you know, that new company in, in, that has come in and usually when you get a new company and you get competition and they're offering some of the cheapest electricity. So uh, check out the new company. I don't know who you're with at the moment or maybe uh, check out uh, Pinergy. Uh, and the hope is that with you know coming into the market and Pinergy announcing that they're cutting prices that other companies will follow suit, but only time will tell. And on the Boundary Commission, the Electoral Commission who have published their report uh, showing that the next doll we will have 174 uh, TDs and that's up from 160 at the moment and this is all to do with population increase. Some of your thoughts. Bill in Clonakilty. What difference will it make to Cork as 
an entire city and county. What difference will these changes to the constituencies uh, make? We're told we're to get two extra TDs. What difference will two extra TDs make? Bill is pondering. He said at the moment we've three ministers here in Cork and we're living like a third world county. No proper school transport, no public transport to facilitate commuters, no housing, no doctors, no dentists. The lists go on and on. So what difference does it make even having three ministers in our county? Pat in Mallow is worried about what Pat is hearing, what the changes for Mallow and the fact that it will be moving into Cork North uh, Central. Pat says Mallow will be looking at the high population or the TDs will be looking at the high population basis in the city. So issues in Mallow will be forgotten about. Will roads and services be completely forgotten about? Will we become the poor relation of the Cork North Central uh, constituency? And Anne also is scratching her head, can't understand uh, why Mallow has been moved into a city constituency. What is it going to mean, particularly, she said, for rural uh, areas and lives in a rural part uh, between Mallow and uh, Donnerill. Should I have nothing in common with somebody who lives in the city? Can't understand why we are in a city, const- or will be moving into a city constituency. And Michael says, Patricia, listening to your debate on the constituency boundary changes. And yes, our pop- yes, our population has increased. But of that increase, how many of them are actually allowed to vote in in a general election and that's true not everyone some will be allowed to vote in local elections others will not be allowed to vote in referendum I don't know and not everyone can vote in a presidential election I think yeah you're right it, uh, people who are new to the area don't automatically get a full voting rights anyway but was that factored in when you're looking at the population base? I would I would think no, Michael, it wasn't. Anyway, Michael says very disappointed. He's down in West Cork, very disappointed that Ballangiri and McCroom did not move into Cork Southwest. It now appears there will be no change there. Voting should also be made compulsory together with a penalty if you do not vote, which happens in other country countries. Furthermore, there are people who have left constituencies for many, many years and they're still on the register. Yeah, and even though they try and update the register, there's always anomalies as well uh, contained on the register. Um, this is another text on the changes to the number of TDs. Now there's a, there, actually there was a load of them. I don't know, I'll just read you some of them. People are not happy about the idea of an extra 14 uh, TDs. One listener says, the thing about the extra TDs, an extra 14, that will be an extra 14 TDs multiplied by a 100,000 euro per year plus expenses. Uh, if there is a population decrease, ponders this person, will any of those be laid off? No, they won't. They'll just hang on to their job. And somebody else, derogatory comment about uh, TDs, it was as 160 TDs in the doll is more than enough. Every one of them thinks they're superior to the ordinary decent per person on the ground, which in fact is the opposite. And Derek says more TDs for the country, but with boundary changes, certain areas will be losing out. Derek says we often feel in Charleville that we are completely forgotten about. We're on the edge of the Cork Northwest constituency and yet we are so close to Limerick and a lot of people yeah, will identify more with uh, Limerick than they do with uh, Cork. 0818-103-103. And then a couple of people with kind of housing uh, issues who have contacted us. Here's one from Pat. Pat was on to us. He's in the lucky position. He's renting a four-bedroomed house at the moment. Lovely, fine four-bedroomed house. But he said, literally, it's too big. He's in this house on his own and he would dearly love to downsize. He said he's been looking at all the rental sites, but there's very little availability. A two-bed 
would be absolutely perfect uh, for uh, Pat. Anywhere in the Mallow Donnerail area, he said nothing available. He is on the council waiting list. He has been on it for the last 12 years, but he's had no luck in getting a house through the council. But he says, like, he's tying up a house, a four-bedroomed house that will be very suitable for a larger family. Um, and he'd love to move on to a smaller, and it would be cheaper as well for you, Pat, to be living in, to be living in a smaller unit than a four-bedded uh, house. But he can't find anything, which is crazy. And then Lynette, who uh, was on to us now, we're not saying where Lynette lives for obvious reasons, except to say that she's living in a housing estate. And she's contacted us because another resident in the housing estate is selling cars from his home. Um, and because of that, he's obviously buying and selling cars. There are a number of cars all the time parked up on the footpath. And she says the estate now is starting to look very unsightly with all of these cars parked there. And obviously he's moving on cars and then he buys in other cars and then moves those on. And then other cars, they're replaced. So there's constantly a flow of cars in and out of the estate and constantly a, num- a number of cars parked up on uh, the footpath. Lynette said she some of these cars are causing her problems because she has to swing into her drive uh, way and she said it can be really hard with the way the cars are parked at certain uh, angles and she's wondering could we shout it out on the radio to see has anybody else dealt with the situation like this now she says the housing estate she was in uh, was recently taken over by the council so she doesn't have a management um, company in place before people say go to your management company it's taken over I wonder could you go to the council anyway she said they they and other neighbours have alerted the Gardaí but the Gardaí said "Mm, nothing to see here nothing to do with us I would suggest maybe getting on to the council if the estate has been taken over by the council and I don't know the rules and the regulations and the laws around operating a business because that's what that person is doing is operating a business from his house which I'm assumed I'm assuming you're entitled uh, to do but you shouldn't be discommoding the other people in the neighbourhood anyway anyone who's got advice for Lynette we'd love to hear from you please and we can pass on your uh, words sage words of advice to Lynette 0818 103 103 John Paul's taking calls you can text her WhatsApp as to 0862 103 103 C103 Jobs Aragon House Nursing Home. They have a vacancy for a head chef. CVs, please, to chris at aragonhouse.ie. A construction worker is wanted for an industrial insulation company. CVs, please, to services at omif.net. And an office administrator is wanted for work in Canturk. CVs, please, to info at multisweep.com. And the Hibernian Hotel in Mallow, they've got vacancies for a chef to party and a breakfast chef. CVs to exec chef at hibernianhotelmallow.com. And a part-time and full-time hairstylist are wanted for McCroom. Email your CV to lavenderhairmccroom at gmail.com. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. cmig.ie. 
Hi, it's Martina. All this week I've teamed up with Falta Ireland to show how you can have the best daycation ever. I'll be out experiencing a daycation and exploring some of the many things around Cork, like Bantry House and Gardens and Glengareth Bamboo Park, giving you the inside scoop on how you can experience all the fun of a holiday in a single day. And we've got one for all vouchers up for grabs for you to experience your own best daycation. Stay tuned for an adventurous week with Falta Ireland on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 2103 103. Talk to me. Cork today on C103. Now it's estimated that up to one in three adults wake up with chronic pain most days. Uh, but sadly, many still battle to have their debilitating condition taken seriously by doctors. Uh, in order to highlight the issue, the charity Chronic Pain Ireland has launched a campaign for Pain Awareness Month, which is September. And to talk more, I'm joined by Martina Phelan, who is the chair of the uh, association. And we're also hoping to speak with somebody who suffers from chronic pain. We're just having difficulties uh, getting through uh, to that other person. But Martina Phelan uh, joins me. Um, good morning to you, Martina. Good morning, Patricia. And Thanks for having us well, on. Well, you're, you're very welcome to the programme. I suppose, can you start by explaining to us how you define chronic pain? Yeah. Um, in its simplest terms, chronic pain is any pain that lasts beyond the healing period. And the healing period is generally taken as three months by healthcare professionals. So it's any pain that lingers beyond three months. Okay. I'm and it, it can be any kind of pain, Patricia. It can feel like it's stabbing, it's burning, it's pinpricks. It can even feel like uh, insects biting. Do you know the way you get a, a, an insect bite in the summer? Yeah. It can that, feel like that. And that intense sting that you get from it. Stay there yeah. because I'm told uh, Neve uh, Vegeter is on the other Brilliant. line who is a, a who is a uh, patient uh, with who suffers from chronic pain. Good morning to you, Neve. Good morning, Patricia. And you're very, you're very welcome. And, and I wanted to start my chat uh, with you because, because you suffer from uh, chronic pain. So I suppose, can you take us back? When did you start to suffer from it? And when and what were you diagnosed with? It was March 2001. And I was just em- moving an empty box. Didn't even have to bend down for it. Just moving an empty box from one side of the room to the other. And I felt something giving my back. And the following morning, I couldn't move, couldn't get out of bed, couldn't do anything. And eventually, through GP, physio, and then probably a year later, seeing a specialist and MRI scans, I prolapsed the disc. Oh, and how would you describe the pain you experienced and you are experiencing? Back then, it was unlike anything I had ever experienced and I'd broken my femur before and that wasn't as bad as how it was with that back pain it was you couldn't get up the the pain would have been so intense that you'd be crying just to, to even try to sit up to get to the toilet I'd have to luckily my brother was with me so he could help me to get out of bed those first couple of days because otherwise I don't know what I would have done. And since then, I've had four surgeries on that disc 
and was left with a final diagnosis of failed back syndrome. Fancy term for basically nerve damage when you've ongoing pain following surgery that there's no other reason for. Wow. So I was left with that. The last surgery was, I think, 2000 seven or something five or seven something like that yeah and with every with every surgery Neve, you were hoping this will be it this will sort it this will allow me to get my life back to normal that's it and for the first couple of surgeries it was grand for a few months afterwards and then after surgery one it was a sneeze that put it back out after surgery two it was a cough that put it back out Surgery oh number God. three, I have no clue what did it, but that one was the worst because I was left living no no kind of quality of life. I was going to bed upstairs, going downstairs to a bed downstairs because I couldn't sit anymore. So it was just that was my life until I had surgery number three. And then surgery number four, it was just never fully relieved of the pain. And then that was surgery number four. And then that never fully relieved it. And I lost count of the number of nerve blocks they tried on me. None of that worked. Physio didn't work. So, And there's and no more was, surgeries now that can be of any help? No. No. Not on that back level, no. So what gives you relief from the pain at the moment? Painkillers. That's literally all that I have left, painkillers. Because there's no physio that will help. There's, yeah, there's there's not a lot. I've struggled with my weight, so that could help if I could get it down. But I'm at a point where I now also suffer from arthritis and I need a knee replacement. So I have no mobility and no way to exercise to lose the weight to get the surgery, to be able to walk. God, it's like a vicious circle. It, re- it really is. And and talk to me, uh, Neve, about how that living with that constant chronic pain, like you know every single day that you wake up that you are going to be in pain. You obviously get some relief from with the painkillers. But how does that affect your day-to-day life at the moment? It's difficult. There are days when I just don't want to get up because I know as soon as I even sit up out of the bed, the pain will start. And then as soon as I take, stand up and take that first step, the pain is worse. But unfortunately, well, fortunately, unfortunately for me, I can't lie down very long because that triggers the back pain and the shooting pains. So I have to get up. So I have to do stuff. And I'm lucky, I'm very lucky in the position that I work with my brother and he stays with me during the week. So if I need any help, he is there to help me. And I am so lucky to have that. But it is difficult. Like I work part time. That's about all I can do. And it takes all my energy to do those days. And then the days that I don't work is to recover enough to be able to go back in and do the work. Because without work, I, ha- I wouldn't have no life. I'd be just at home all the time. But, but you would like and want to be able to work full time, I take it, listening to you. I absolutely would, because it, it's good for the mental health. But physically, it's, it's a problem. But it's also a problem with financially, because I can't work full time. So I'm working part time. And at the moment, I still receive... Uh, an allowance for uh, partial capacity allowance for 
from the state. So that allows me to have some extra money from the state while working part time. But that is not a permanent thing. That'll trickle away after a couple of years. Then I'll be in a position that I won't be able to afford to work part time, have to go full time up to a point where I'm no longer able to work and then have to go full time back on disability. So that is a vicious circle that I've been through before until I started working with my brother. So it's trying to keep a job and maintain a job I can only do for so long until that's it. I've clapped my health out so much. I can't work for a couple of years, start going back to work, financially have to go back full time and then you're back in that circle again. Have you a social life, Neve? No, I I don't. I don't go out. I, uh, I have the best triggers for my pain is sitting up still standing still or lying down and yeah so, I, I, it's not comfortable going anywhere yeah so, so even to go don't. for to go for a drive in a car to, to go on a journey anywhere would be it's if, if i have a destination that's grand okay but if I, I i i just can't decide tomorrow ah i want to go to the beach for a walk because i get there i'm too tired i'm in too much pain and then you're clambering around on sand, rocks, whatever. And then that takes a few days out of me. So it's... The, the, and are no you, when you mention painkillers, are you on very heavy painkillers? I would be on a step down from morphine. Oh, and I have been on that kind of 15 years. I'm lucky enough to have a really good pain specialist. And we have been playing around with the medication. Because at one point, this was before I was with this pain specialist, I was on levels that high that I would be drowsy driving. That's what I was, that's why I was asking about the painkillers. Yeah, that's, and when you're long term on those very heavy medication, they just seem to take, I take over your life. And I can understand trying to get out of the pain, but it's the quality of life you're left with. That's it. Yeah. And as I said, I was lucky with this pain specialist that realised that the last medication I was on, which was oxycodone, was not getting processed by my liver correctly because I'd been on it so long. And he switched me to something else. And that worked wonders. I'm on less of the narcotic than I would have been on on the oxy, but it works just as well for me. Well, it, it did until recently. And oxy, well, that's another story. Uh, yeah, oxycodone is the famous oxycontin that we all watch those TV programs about, and people getting addicted and the effect exactly. that it had. Yeah, and scary that's stuff. True, that's but it's scary stuff for people who need it. Yeah. Oh, listen, one hundred percent. I I hear you on that, girl. I really do. Let me bring back in Martina, the chair of the Afghanic Pain Ireland. Um, Martina, is Neve's story very similar to many you would hear from your members? It is very very similar. Um, and even to my own, um, I have chronic pain myself. Um. Life is full of awesome what ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves. Feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. 
When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I was, like me, if I was diagnosed with failed back surgery syndrome, despite the fact I've never had back surgery. You've I'm not a candidate for back surgery. Okay. Um, and as she was saying with the medications, that is very, very common, you know. And what we find with a lot of people, and myself included, and probably Neve in her experience, is that you don't take the level of medication that you need. Because yeah. to to completely kill the pain, you would be, you could be, no, I'm not talking about everybody now, I don't want to generalise, Um you wouldn't be able to have a life. Yeah, you're, you're, you're nearly knocked out. Yeah, you're near. You're nearly not knocked out. And how yeah. uh, how does it affect you work wise, uh, Martina? Are you similar to Neve that you can't work full time? I haven't worked at all in eight years. Oh my god. Yeah, yeah. But I have volunteered with Chronic Pain Ireland for nearly as long, um, and I've been the chair now for four years. Well done, well done. And is uh, it very, do, do, do you find it, uh, Martina, very difficult when at times doctors don't believe that you're in pain, particularly if they can't, you can't see pain. I think that's, I think that's the big problem. And is there an element yeah. at times that it's almost like you must be exaggerating, you couldn't be in that much pain? That's exactly what happens. And that's what happened to me. It was, I wasn't diagnosed till 2008. Um, but I've had pain since I was a teenager. Um, and I was nearly 30 before I was diagnosed. And it's all too common that we hear with people, oh, you couldn't be in that much pain. Um, oh, sure, it's just wear and tear. Everybody has back problems. You know, you're at that age of your life. Or, unfortunately, um, a lot of people hear is you're just overweight or it's just your period. Oh, God. And, yeah. I, and I'm assuming for both of you, does it affect your night's sleep? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. You go through, I'm sure Neve can, can commiserate, you go through every type of pillow, sheet, mattress, um, duvet cover to find something that's comfortable. Oh, yeah, and, and then, then it's, it's you trying to and you turn. It's trying to it's, cope then the next day when you haven't had a good night's sleep and, and, and yeah. you know, and listening to how Neve described it, you're getting out of bed knowing that you're going to be in pain now for the day and you haven't had a, a full full night's sleep. It really is uh, is is crazy. Um, Martina, Neve mentioned she seems to have a really good pain consultant, which, and Neve, I take it, is here in, in Cork, is it? Yeah, do you yeah. mind if I plug them? Do you? Dr. Dominic Hegarty. Well done, Dominic mm. Hegarty. Do we have enough pain consultants, Martina, especially in the public service? We don't. We don't. And... Um, that isn't just a problem in Ireland, that's the European problem. In Ireland, we have what, what we term 27 whole-time consultants. That means that there might be slightly more, but the hours that they do only add up to 27 people. So a lot of them work part-time. 
so they would be like a point five in in the hospital working half the hours of the week. Um, and that's something that we that we would you know campaign for for an increase in those numbers. So are you are you saying people waiting to get to see a pain management could end up in a waiting list? Absolutely. Oh. We have anecdotal evidence of people waiting 18 months or more to see a pain consultant and the Irish Pain Society who would be the the pain specialist group have come out and said that that would be the average there as well it would be 18 months. Now you'll probably hear from people that in other parts of the country it may be longer, maybe less. It depends on where you live. But that's that just, 18 months would be the average. That's just not good enough. It, it really isn't yeah. good enough. Okay, so and t- that's only to speak to the consultant. Yeah, yeah before we, you even try and get some kind of a treatment plan in place. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Okay, talk to me about what you're planning to do for uh, this month. You've, you've, you've got a very special, it's a pain awareness uh, month. Mm. Uh, what, what are you hoping to do to highlight the issue? Um, so Pain Awareness Month, it's an international awareness month okay. to highlight chronic pain. Um, for ourselves, we are running extra workshops um, as well as social media campaign, the radio media campaign. Um, it's just to try to get the message out to people. It's to get the message out there. It's to promote that, you know, you're not alone. Yeah. People are not alone. We're there for them. We have the workshops that they can attend Mem- for members. They're free of charge. Um, they can attend them. Some of them are five weeks in length. Others then are a one-off. So you just attend for two to three hours of a morning. And it's all about learning to cope with chronic pain, self-management of your chronic pain, so that in addition to your medication, we teach self-management strategies to help. And then there's also the social element of it. So we run a peer support group once a month where people can just get together and talk about their pain, you know, what helps other people. And it's a place where there's no judgment. Yeah, because yeah. Uh, I, I, I take it, uh, and uh, Neve, if you want to come in on this, I mean, I take it at times you just stop talking to people and telling people about your pain because it feels there must be a sense of oh god here she goes again talking about her pain are you sense that that's how some people feel Neve? It is absolutely and and I doubt they're doing it but it seems that sometimes every time you're talking to this family member or this friend it's just about the pain and Mm -hmm. and, and at a certain point it's yeah let's not talk about that anymore it's try to kind of make it as less less important than it is or less of an effect on the life as it is. But who wants to talk about somebody else's pain all the time? So you just shut it off so that you can have, or what I would feel, a decent conversation rather than focusing on me all the time. Okay, somebody, somebody's talking about somebody they know who had a lot of uh, nerve pain uh, and ended up going on CBD oil. Do either of the ladies recommend that? I'm not a healthcare professional, okay. Patricia, um, and we don't advocate for one drug over another. And um, I would have, so I would have no comment there at all. Okay, okay. I suppose it's whatever works for individuals is what happens. Okay. That's so, it. so yeah. Martina, how how can anybody listening? And I know there will be people listening who will be very oh. much identifying with your story and with Neve's story and living with chronic pain. Um, how can they link in with with your group, Chronic Pain Ireland? We have a website. 
uh, chronicpain.ie. It's a brand new website, actually. We only launched there a few weeks ago. And all the information is there. And we also have our Facebook and Instagram pages, or Twitter, rather, um, uh, Chronic Pain Ireland on Facebook and Twitter. But the website would be the main source of okay. information there. And, and listen, to, to say to people, reach out and just get the, the, the even that peer support alone just to chat to somebody. Listen, you're two very brave uh, ladies. We wish you well on your journey. And we thank you both for joining us this morning on the programme. Good morning to you. Bye bye. Uh, Neve, Vector, and Martina Phelan. Martina being the chair of the uh, Chronic Pain uh, Island. It's just a nightmare, isn't it? To be living like that, to be constantly living like that and knowing that there's no ending to the pain. Details of passengers who died aboard the Lusitania and were previously unavailable are among more than 57,500 burial records put up online by the Skibbereen Heritage Centre. And to tell us more, I'm joined by the centre's manager, Terry Carney. Good morning to you, Terry. Good morning, Patricia. Always great to talk to you. I take it this was painstaking and time-consuming work. Oh, it's hugely important. You know, there's over, as I said, 57,500 records and every single one of those people lived and loved. So it's very important to get it right. And we really, really, really try hard to do that. And we've had fantastic support from all the staff in Cork County Council to do that as well. And we're delighted to be doing it on behalf of the Cork County Council. Yeah, and it's so important for it's for the future generations as well that the records, the records are, are there forevermore. Hugely. And I mean, these are hugely valuable records uh, that the the council would be cognizant of that. But to bring them into the public realm adds an extra dimension because we've had so many people now contacting us from all over the world. And a lot of people have visited, you know, they found their last ancestor as we put up records. And there's been quite a few headstones erected as a result of this and names put on headstones. So it means a lot to people. It really does. And it's also preserving these very, very, very important documents. Um, And like I said, making them publicly available for the first time, which is very, very gratifying and worthwhile work. Is it is it very special when you you manage to help somebody from some far flung corner of the world to find where a loved one, the remains of a loved one, a long lost relative was buried? Is that a very special thing to do. Oh God it is. It's it's like I said, we've got lovely emails from people saying, Thank you so much. I've looked for my great aunt or whatever. And it's it it means sure it's what it's all about, Patricia, you know, it's it's we're we're unique in Ireland in that we really remember our dead and, and you know, the importance of death and graveyards and everything, you know, that's a, a very important part of our culture. And it's lovely to see that continuing on and that, you know, where somebody is buried, is that important to somebody? And rightly so. And the fact that you can look at the original copy of the register as well, you can find them as part of the database, but then you can click and you can actually open the page of the register. Um, so, you know, it makes it very personal. It, makes it does. It very, I yeah, love, I love it, seeing the old handwriting and... Oh, it's just, it's, it's, it's tingling. It's, I just think it's a fantastic uh, thing to view uh, online and it's so fantastic now that it is available to everyone no matter where they are. Now, um, talk to me firstly about the, the Lusitania and I suppose just the quick history lesson for those not au fait with history. Remind people what about the Lusitania and its sinking in 1915. Oh, such a tragedy, yeah. Um, we're sailing to New York in May 1915 from New York, sorry, to Liverpool. 
um, with almost 2,000 people on board. And unfortunately, she was torpedoed by a German submarine off the Irish coast, just off the old head of Kinsale. And the, the ship sank in just 18 minutes, so people had no hope. And, you know, like I said, almost 1,200 people were lost. Um, a lot of the saved people were brought in, a lot of the people that were saved were brought into Cove, um, along with many of the dead. And there were, I think, just short, I think 289 bodies were recovered. And then 169 of those are buried in this cemetery in Cove, in the Old Church Cemetery in Cove. Um, the majority of them in three mass common graves because they were unidentifiable. And then those that were identified were buried in 20 private graves separately. Um, yeah, because, ones... yeah, we're talking about a very different era where bodies couldn't re- be repatriated and there wouldn't have been DNA tests to identify people. So there, there is a large cohort unidentified. There is. And you can imagine there was an impetus to bury the bodies quickly. These had been in the water. They would be decomposing. You know, it would be very important for public health and hygiene, if nothing else, to bury them very, very quickly. So there was these huge mass grave, mass funeral and mass graves. And um, actually, the wonderful people in Cove Heritage Centre unearthed some photos of the era for the centenary of the, um, the sinking of the Lusitania back in, in 2015. And to see, you know, just these masses of coffins with all these unidentified bodies in them being mer- buried together. I, you can imagine just the pall that would have hung over Cove, you dreadful, know. Dreadful, dreadful, dreadful. And I mean, you know, and, and, and I thought the real poignancy was to see, you know, records... Uh, Baby in coffin one five four. Yeah, yeah. They made great efforts to try and identify people, and that's very clear in the in the registers. It's very interesting to look at actually, because there's a few sort of mystery ones. You know, there's a lot of unidentified females, say for example. Now they would estimate the age, but then they put Catholic. You're going, how did you know she was Catholic? Rosary beads. Wearing a piece of Catholic jewelry. Or a rosary beads in her pocket or something. Yeah, Yeah. something like that. So they went went to great efforts. They went to huge efforts. And you can see it every, like the ones in uniform are almost, almost all the ones in uniforms are the ones that are identified afterwards, you know, from bandmasters to stewardesses. And then there's some of them thought to be this person, but they couldn't verify it. And even one, I just thought it was so poignant. Um, Somebody was wearing a pair of stockings marked A-H-H and they had put down on the entry um, stockings marked A-H-H in the hope that that would help to identify that person. So, And they may even, you know, I haven't been able to verify this, but photography was used back in 1915 and... Who knows, you know, they could have photographed the bodies and used them to identify them Mm. afterwards. We don't know, absolutely don't know. Um, And and those initials might stand out to somebody today who would have known that they had a relative who who travelled on uh, the Lusitania. Like, you you, you never know. And and you're talking about all of these bodies would have had to be buried, as you say, um, as quickly as possible over over a number of uh, days is it right that they paused all the other local deaths and burials in order to get the Lusitania victims well, they buried? they paused them all in the register, which is very, very interesting. So it's clear that somebody knew that these bodies should be re- recorded together ah. to enable 
people to find out this information easily afterwards and to enable identification to happen. Because you can see it's, it's, it's an anomaly and the um, fantastic um, staff down in, in Cove helped me out with this one because I was like, how did that happen? So it made sense. They may have had a working draft copy that they used out in the field to record them. And then there's a clear line in the registers. There's a red line. And then it's Lusitania um, drowning. And they're all listed together. But even local deaths that were buried, that, that died before them, were put in after them. So clearly they marked off these pages for these deaths to keep them all together to make them easier afterwards to identify people, you know? So and lit- yeah, and obviously made it easier then for genealogists and people like yourself when you're going to look at the records. They couldn't have known that that 100 years later somebody would have been doing what you're going to do, but it, is, it has made it easier to keep them all together. Exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. fantastic. And you can see, it, you know, it's very easy. So if anybody who does want to look at them, it's very easy. Just go onto our website and go into Old Church Cove and just put in 1915 and you'll see all the identified. And you can click then and look at the original coffins and the original registers. But there's some of them now, you know, by the uniforms that were identified, but there was one, I was like, how did they find him afterwards? But then, of course, they identified him. He was a commercial traveller born in India. So he was probably coloured, you know. Just, yeah, you yeah. Know, well, and in, in those days, yeah, it would have been, yeah. yeah. yeah he yeah, would have yeah, stood yeah. out, the poor man. So okay. they went to huge efforts to try and, and identify people, which is gratifying and maybe still meet more of these are identified since then, you know. So, are, you expect, they, are you expecting a lot of worldwide interest? I mean, genealogy has really taken off, hasn't it? Oh, it's huge. Absolutely huge. It's, I think it's the most common pastime outside shopping now across North America. And there's, we have Margaret, our wonderful genealogist, is, is I call her the white witch because she's so <laughs> intuitive with this. But she's up to her eyes, you know, more and more people. And it's very important for people to know their identity and to know it's, it's, it's a mark of respect to your ancestors as well to do it. You know, and again, that's very Irish. And these people who do find like a grave or an ancestor or whatever, they're such loyal tourists. They come back over and over again. Um, and, you know, they have a loyalty to the area and you know, they take ownership of the area. Mm. And that's not something to be dismissed lightly. You know, we, we welcome them. I had a lovely woman in actually um, a couple of weeks ago now and they'd been with Margaret and her husband was with her and she was so into it. And um, I was chatting away to her and the husband said, oh, never mind her. She thinks she's Irish every time she comes here. <laughs> and I looked at him and I said, her DNA is on this island for thousands of years and it's gone for 150 years. She is Irish. You know? She's home. She, she was, yeah, she exactly. is. She is. Yeah. is, is she, yeah. for, for sure. Yeah. How many graveyards now are you up to with burial records? Uh, we're over 100. That's yeah, incredible. And there's a whole other... There's another tranche of them. It's very slow work and we have a tiny team and I really want to pay tribute to them. My God, they're fantastic. Um, and to all the council staff helping us and for to Cork County Council for supporting this project because it's really, really worthwhile. Um, but we have, we've all, we have all of West Cork done. Hopefully by the end of this winter now, it's winter time, we get to work on them more. We'll have completed South Cork and East Cork. We have some graveyards from East Cork and around the McCroom area still in process. And then those three areas will be totally covered. So then we can say any burial register that exists for those three areas is there. You know, that's a good thing to say. 
and hopefully, please God, if we're all here and and the council lets us do it, we might move on to North Cork then and, and keep doing this work. Well you know? done, so, well done. Because I, I, I said at the outset, it is so important work and in a hundred years time uh, when we're all pushing up daisies there'll be people looking at these records saying well done and well done to the people of Skibbereen Heritage uh, Centre where the foresight to, uh, to do it because it's they will remain there uh, forevermore and if to anyone who hasn't gone on your website you've got you've got those wonderful videos that you have up yeah, of the video there's, tours there's quite a few more bits Great. We're, we're all graveyardy people. You're oh, one of them I as well. I am as well. Yeah, I love I speaking to well. a kindred spirit. <laughs> I am as well. But, I um, can't pass a graveyard without going in and have a look. Sure, they're full of interesting they, people. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. So people can, can log on to skibbereenheritage.com. Uh, go to, on to, to skibbereenheritage.com, go to the graveyard tab. There's a map showing all the graveyards where they are. You can click on the map and then you can go into the database and just narrow down your graveyard. And I said, as I said, for anybody who wants to look at those poignant records, it's Old Church Cove and put in 1915 and you can look at the original Lusitanian. Okay. Um, we leave it there. Oh, always a pleasure, Terry. We'll speak again. Uh, look after yourself and uh, thanks a million for joining us this morning. Thank you so much. Good morning Patricia. to Take you. Care. The wonderful Terry Coffey. Yesterday, we heard from one of our listeners who sent us in this sound effect was what kept her awake the previous night. There was a Kango hammer that was going on until 1am in the morning in Bridge Street in uh, Mallow and our listener was uh, really annoyed and couldn't get a decent night's sleep and was the main problem though uh, was that there was no warning that the people living in that area hadn't been warned that they it was kango hammers and that they were going to be using them late at night so we said we'd get on to the council because the listener was very very critical of the council for not at least warning the residents of that area well Cork County Council came back to us and they say they're currently undertaking pavement strengthening works on the N72 between Annabella and Spa Glen. Works between Bridge Street and the Spa Square are being carried out under nighttime road closures and that's in the interest of public safety. The works include carrying out some localised repairs on pavement failure and the drainage system. The contractor, they say, will always endeavour to undertake this element of works earlier in the evening so as not to disturb a person's night's sleep. Unfortunately, on Monday evening, the work required some additional breaking out in order to complete the work and uh, be able to make sure that the road was open in time for morning traffic because obviously there was t- children back to school, uh, etc. So that was the reason for it. They didn't set out to start kango hammering late in, into the night, but they didn't have any, any choice. But hopefully that was the last of the Kango Hammer. We didn't hear back from our listeners so we take it. She had a good night's sleep last night. 0818103103. Couple of texts in looking for shout outs. Michael was on to say, asking us to give a mention to Ahihol Vintage and Harvest Day. It's on next Sunday, that's the 3rd of September at 11am and proceeds raised from the Vintage and Harvest Day will go to local charities. And hi Patricia, will you give a shout out to Sarsfield's Junior A Hurlers in Riverstown who play St. Eta's of Pilmore in Yall and it's on Friday night at 7 in Cove in the Champions and that's from uh, Finbar in Sars. Thank you for that on pain that we spoke about in the last hour. Hi Patricia. I've had two back operations. I had one in 1994 and I had one in 1996. Now wait for the sting on this. The consultant has retired. I've been waiting for a new consultant since 2019 and I don't know, do I take it from that that you need a further operation? It's just shocking. I can just imagine the type of pain 
you're living in and waiting for an operation and hoping that the operation will sort out the pain. On the boundary changes that we mentioned earlier with the Electoral Commission making their report uh, today. Hi Patricia, I live in the Cork Northwest constituency. Have to be honest, I haven't seen a TD in person since the last election and that's a long time ago. The new changes will leave rural Ireland with the scraps from the big tables, uh, from the big towns and the cities. Well I suppose what local TDs will say to you and right they do come calling in the run up to an election that happens all over the country but then they'll say their constituency offices are always open all of the uh, certain times of the week and they're there if you need to contact them. They certainly don't out of electioneering. There's very few go knocking on door uh, knocking on doors so if you need to make contact with any of your local TDs in Cork North West then make contact with them either by the phone or by calling into their constituency uh, office. Hi Patricia I'm not surprised at the number of people who are dying on our roads. God, they're just so tragic those deaths though. Uh, seeing the chances that some people take on our roads it's absolutely frightening. I'm actually surprised that the figures aren't higher. Cars don't go out of control or hit walls for no reason other than speed or careless driving. Tragic as these accidents are uh, have been, it needs to be said. The only people that can change this are those that get behind the wheel of those cars. And thinking you, uh, yeah, I accept that in a lot of accidents, and the experts will say that a lot of accidents are down to speed. But you also have to take into account weather conditions, road conditions. There can be other reasons as well. It isn't, it isn't always. And yes, you're right. There are a lot of accidents are simply down to speed or people taking you know, a risk overtaking or overtaking on a bend, uh, etc. But there are some that purely it is down either to the, to the road conditions or if you get a combination of bad weather and road conditions together, even if you're managing to, you know, really concentrate on the road and drive within the speed limit, unfortunately, these accidents uh, can happen. But yeah, are many attributed to speed? 100%. And then some commentary in on Vera Powell. How are people feeling about Vera Powell uh, today? I haven't got to mention her yet. And of course, we know last night the Football Association of Ireland decided not to extend Vera Powell's contract as manager of the Ireland women's soccer team. Now, it's been described as a marathon six-hour board meeting at FAI headquarters, which are, of course, in Abbottstown. The chief executive, Jonathan Hill, last night confirmed that Vera Pau will not be staying on. And Jonathan Hill said on behalf of the Football Association... They wanted to thank Vera for her hard work and her commitment over the past four years. They went on then to wish her well for the future. And in particular, they want to acknowledge the role that Vera had played in leading Ireland to the FIFA Women's World Cup for 2023. They ended the statement by saying the future is bright for women and girls football. And the focus now is on building upon the work done by Vera and the historic achievements of our current women's uh, team. Uh, Now, we know that Vera Pau had been keen to remain in the job, but it seems the fallout from Ireland's World Cup in Australia was crucial in making up the FAI's mind to move on. Now, a review, it seems, was conducted by the FAI's Director of Football, a guy by the name of Mark Cannon. Now, that did include conversations with the players and the backroom staff. And he and the uh, chairman then presented that review to the 11 
person board last night and though it hasn't been released to the public it is understood according to some of the papers today that several players had criticised Vera Power's tactics her squad selection and of course we know there was some criticism of the substitutions she made and didn't make during the World Cup so it now brings an end to a four year stint in charge during which Vera Powell brought the Ireland team to really dizzy new uh, heights and it culminated in this country's first ever qualification for the Women's uh, World Cup. Now, I know, you know, people will say we did finish bottom of the group, but we made it to the group stages. We made it to the World uh, Cup. And I don't think anyone could criticise the great performance that the girls put in at all three matches. They narrowly uh, lost out to Australia and to Canada. And of course, they had the draw with Nigeria. But uh, Vera Pau's days with the Football Association have come to an end as and from last night. Was that the right or the wrong decision? Uh, we welcome your thoughts on there had been some misgivings I think within the Ireland squad and obviously the Football Association um, uh, that Vera chose the eve of the tournament to approach the sports website, the the athlete and that was to dredge up the historic allegations which have surrounded her behaviour about her coaching in the US in 2018. I mean then there was a lot of coverage that kind of soured the build up and some would say it proved to be a bit of a distraction. And uh, the tournament itself ended with Vera Power publicly, Vera Powell publicly at odds then with the captain, uh, Katie McCabe. And that was, remember, Katie went into one over a lack of substitutions against uh, Nigeria. And there was a, a bit of a tattoo between the two of them. And that all of that, I suppose, didn't help. And all of that, I suppose, played into last night's decision. But your thoughts on uh, Vera Powell and has the Football Association of Ireland, have they done the right thing in saying, uh, thanks, Vera, for all your work now, off you go on your way. Anne said she was surprised that Vera Powell's contract was not renewed particularly Sadan said after everything she's done for Irish ladies soccer again she feels it's player power look at the hurlers strikes a number of years ago here in Cork and now we've got the female players but after the hurlers strike that time what have they won since managers have to make harsh decisions but sometimes they're done for the greater good so Anne feels very sorry for Vera Pau and wishes that she stays on and Claire says Vera Pau's record for taking Ireland to a World Cup for the first time uh, ever and not getting her contract renewed. Is that not begrudgery at its very best? And Claire is very disappointed with the news. So your thoughts welcomed on uh, Vera Pau and uh, the fact that she has now been has been forced, well not been forced to step down, they're not renewing her contract. 0818 103 103 John Paul's taking your calls, you can text or WhatsApp to 0862 103 103 The C103 Cork Diary With Cork County Council delivering roads and housing, community and business supports all across the county. See CorkCoco.ie Mallow Adult Learning Centre, they're beginning a tutor training course in the parish centre at the end of September and they're now looking for tutors. Would you be interested? If so, can you call 022 426 
and Peninsula People, its photographic memories of the old head of Kinsale by historian Jerome Lorden, Podrick Begley and the late Eugene uh, Dennis will be officially launched tomorrow night, 8 o'clock in the speckled door on the old head. All are uh, welcome. And Nazareth House in Mallow, their next lotto draw, that's also taking place tomorrow. And please note their jackpot this week stands at €10,000. And on this Friday, which is the 1st of September at half past seven, prayers will be recited at the Tree of Hope. Now that's in Kilburn Cemetery. Uh, It'll be led by Father Michael Leader, who is the local parish priest. And as for all those whose lives have been lost through suicide and for those who are suffering from mental illness, all are very welcome. And Kjol Corky, that's the annual festival of trad music, will be held on this Saturday, the 2nd of September, in Patrick Street, outside Brown Thomas. Now, it's from 10am in the morning to 5pm, and the number of Kjoltis branches who also play music in shopping, there will be a number of Kjoltis branches playing music in local shopping centres throughout the day. And staying on Kjoltis, music enrolment for Fremont Kjoltis will take place on Saturday from 10am to 1 in the Heritage Centre in Fremont. For more information on the instruments being taught, you can text 086 197 1005. And please note that all students must be registered by the 20th of September. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Jack is on about driving. Uh, he feels that the standard of driving isn't great in this country at the moment. Have others noticed this? And he cites examples. He was driving from McCroom to Killarney just last week and he said he was passing out a car. Now he said passing it out in a safe spot, you know, broken line, all that. But he said once he started overtaking the car, whoever was driving the car decided, I'm not going to let him overtake. So they decided to start driving faster and they speeded up, which then meant because Jack was in the process of overtaking, he had to drive uh, faster. He also saw another driver who overtook Jack and Jack counted seven other cars in front of Jack and there was a bend approaching. So Jack reckons driver behaviour has a lot to do with some of the accidents on our road. Yeah, you'll always get people who you just you wonder how they ever managed to get a licence and how they ever managed to get from A to B uh, safely. And of course, the danger when you have lunatics, as I would describe them driving like that, the danger is, look, if you want, they want to go off and kill themselves, that's fine, but it's they can then crash into somebody else and they can be the cause of a serious accident that can go on to kill somebody or seriously injure somebody. So yeah, it's we do have lunatics on the road, uh, Jack. And I don't think that's anything to do with all of a sudden. I think those kind of dr- lunatic drivers have sadly always been there. 0818 103 103. Now an issue we addressed yesterday, I see it continues uh, to make the papers today. And this was the IFA uh, leader, Tim Cullinan, who joined us yesterday up in arms over a tweet from the Environmental Protection Agency. Well, the Green Party Minister, Catherine Martin, is weighing weighing in on that row between environmentalists and farmers. And this was to do with a tweet about eating less red meat. And she's saying the science is clear. Now, the Environmental Protection Agency, the EPA, 
just for those that weren't tuned our way yesterday this is the reason we were talking about them they posted a social media message I think it only went up on Twitter I think it only went up on, on X as it's called now but anyway they were calling for people to reduce their red meat uh, intake now it was deleted because the IFA got onto them and there was a bit of a backlash from the farmers but the Green Party Minister Catherine Martin yesterday said the EPA's message about the negative climate impact of meat production. She said that is backed up by science. The EPA called on people to cut down on the red meat intake and they spoke in their tweet about, you know, try veggie recipes. But it did say in the tweet, by doing it, you'll be healthier, wealthier and more fabulous. <laughs> Which I have to say, as a vegetarian, made me chuckle because I've never thought that I would be more fabulous by eat, not eating red meat. Anyway, and they weren't encouraging people not to eat any meat. They were looking at people going for meat-free uh, Monday. Now, asked if the IFA had overreacted, the Green Party Minister Catherine Martin uh, said that it came as a surprise to the farming organisation but she said it is up to the EPA and it's not for me to tell them what to do but the science is clear on this. I think that's where the EPA was coming from. He says, she said in fairness to them, the, it, to the EPA, I don't think they were telling people to stop eating meat altogether. I think it's just that we can see the benefits if everybody reduces our meat intake. As spokesperson then from the EPA is quoted in the Irish Daily Mail today defending the contents of the post but said the agency had deleted it because it didn't want to reduce what they see as a complex debate. They didn't uh, want to reduce it to a social media message and to do so they felt would diminish the seriousness of the issue. The EPA they say has highlighted repeatedly that economic growth in the agri-food sector in recent times is happening at the expense of the environment. The EPA reports uh, indicate, or various reports indicate, that Ireland's reputation as a food producer with a low environmental footprint continues to be at risk of being uh, irreversibly damaged. And we know, and Tim Cullinan told us yesterday that the EPA are planning to meet with the IFA, particularly about that uh, tweet. Uh, Tim, who is, the, who is the president of the IFA, he told us yesterday the farmers were horrified when they heard about it or horrified when they re- read it. He said there was huge rage among the ministers. He believed it was completely inappropriate for the EPA, a body like the EPA, to tell people what to eat. He said the EPA does have a role. He said they're a regulator and it's the government that governs and decides on issues around climate and around diet. He said people themselves make up their own choices around diet and he said we don't need an EPA man or it could have been a woman uh, telling us what we can and cannot eat and it, yesterday when he was on with us he, he was very very annoyed and then somebody pointed out uh, had Tim a view on what Chagas had, pu- had put out on St Stephen's Day last year just after Christmas when they were advocating again for people not to be eating meat and for more people that we should be looking uh, whereas you associate meat with protein that we should be looking at insects instead for uh, protein and I was asking Tim could he see many farmers starting to move into the production of insects and I just don't know how people feel about eating insects and uh, it's something I honest to God I have a weak enough stomach the thought of eating locusts or crickets are, and I know it's the norm in other countries 
and uh, there's there's a big push from the science world as well showing that they are full of protein but I really don't know if I could sit down and eat a plate of uh, insects but you know each to their own 0818103103 uh, John Paul's taking your calls we are looking as I say for your gardening questions uh, please uh, if you can get those into us either into John Paul or if you can get them in by text or WhatsApp to 086 2103103 and I can see more more texts coming in this is to do with driving can people who are driving show respect for people instead of making faces out of cars says somebody that's what I noticed uh, yesterday don't be looking at what people are doing in other cars would be my advice on that one and Micah says Patricia how are you it's so sad to see so many lives being lost on our roads there are so many people who drive like they're in a rally and they've no patience whatsoever on our roads I also think we need for Garda enforcement of the rules of the road I think that is crucial in order to stop this this carnage. We don't see much evidence of Garda patrols out in rural areas like we used to see previously. If people feel they're going to be caught, they may show some sort of cop on and that's from Michael and that's the one thing that we do know that happens if you know that there's a speed van up the road, you'll instantly start to see people slowing down and I don't know how many Garda go out with, remember the handheld gun uh, I don't know if they, if a lot of that still happens. I certainly, I haven't been travelling that much so I suppose like I, I'm not one I'm not going to be able to say that I haven't spotted them uh, but I don't know if many people see see them or not. We certainly have a lot of the, the go safe vans uh, parked around and they certainly work and they certainly cause um, force people to uh, slow down but yeah we just need to get into the get into people's mindset uh, that uh, you're not invincible when you get behind the wheel of a car and as I say whatever about injuring yourself it's who else you could injure or kill at the same time. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Cork Today on C103. I'm Peter Dowdell, theirishgardener.com, joining us on this Wednesday afternoon. Good afternoon to you, Peter. Good afternoon, Trish. How are you? I'm very well and you're very welcome. Good clear line, thank God. Okay, straight in with some uh, questions and photographs that people got to us in time. So we were able to get them to Peter in time, including this one from Mary in Dunmanway, who sent us on a photograph, she says, of two tubs of distressed geraniums, very little flowers and lots of holes in the leaves. They are looking very distressed. Advice, please. Now, I just had a, literally a very, very quick look, look at them there just before we came on air. Um, they, they, they look to me, now I bear in mind, I didn't have a chance to look at them for, for longer than 2.5 seconds, but they look to me to be um, probably overcrowded in the pot and pot bound. So they, maybe they should come out of the, the, the pots or the tubs that they're in and go into fresh soil with fresh compost deadhead them, cut off all the flowers. They may also be suffering from overwatering. Now, if they were outside this year in a pot that's holding water, obviously that's that's very likely because we've had so much rain. Um, so I would deadhead them. I would remove any of the leaves now, with a, even with the scissors that, that, that are showing holes or just not looking great, remove them um, into a pot with fresh compost. Uh, if that's not feasible, just give them a feed. Give them a feed with a good quality tomato food to drive them on. Um, I wouldn't be too worried about treating them with any kind of a, a copper sulfate or anything like that for, for any fungal infection. I really think the best thing to do is remove any of the infection, which are the dead flowers, the dead leaves. Give them a feed. And as I say, if possible, into a new pot. 
uh, and I think they should come on. And if if hopefully we get this lovely September, uh, you'll still have a bit of bloom to look forward to. Yeah, and everybody, uh, yeah, the the long range weather forecast is for so for at least two weeks of it. I think <laughs> the, the, the long the long range weather forecast seems to be always. For I know, weather. I know, but we're ever hopeful. We're ever hopeful. We and are then, ever an, optimistic. And the email came in from Anne in Middleton says, "What's gone wrong with my apple trees? The blossom comes out beautifully. The apples form, begin to ripen, then this happens." And she sent on pictures of very sad looking uh, apples. They seem to be fine sized apples, but they're all bruised looking and spots, black spots on them. Yeah, no, it's, uh, I just had a look at one of them there before, again, before we came on air. I'll just try and have a look at the second one as we're talking. Yeah, it's apple scab. That's what it is. So again, it's a fungal infection. And again, with all the excessive moisture that we've had this year during the summer, that's part of what's causing it. If you like, that's creating the conditions for for which the scab loves. So uh, it's blooming well and it's setting the fruit. And at that point, that's probably the time that I would treat the tree, the root zone, uh, and the tree with a solution of copper sulfate and water, which is your old-fashioned blue stone that we use for potato blight. Um, it, it's it's a very good preventative for a lot of these fungal infections. Unfortunately, being in the climate that we, we live in, though I, I don't mind the climate we live in when we look around the world at the moment, yeah. um, the, the, it is conducive to the development of fungal infections, which this is. So your 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 ways around it to help prevent it, it's all cultural methods, cultural control, which is a, a kind of posh way, if you like, of saying good, pruning and what I dare I say common sense in other words if you have good air circulation through the plant that's then it's less likely to develop these fungal infections if you can imagine that apple tree I haven't seen the tree just the fruits but if it's a very congested tree with lots and lots of branches crossing each other and lots of leaves and branches in the middle of it well then there's no there's very poor air circulation Uh, so inside that tree in the foliage and on the stems and around the, the buds and the fruiting spurs will get very damp and warm and as I say these are conditions which are ideal for the development of fungal problems like scab black spot all these things so good pruning the month of november december is probably the best time to prune your apple trees bearing in mind you're looking for outward facing branches you want a good open center to the tree good air circulation always remember that um and then come next spring just around time of blossom treated with with copper sulfate and water and uh, hope hope for the best really and hope for a good summer but i think you should be okay if you do that when you're pruning it too uh, i would as well as the crossing branches and things like that i would prune it back in width and in height and then hopefully by removing a lot of the tips you will hopefully be removing a lot of the the fungal spores that will still be in the tree Okay, and I I think John Paul says you got this email as well to do with uh, Mike in beautiful Bantry who sent a picture of his hanging basket. He said, my hanging basket is past its best. Can I keep anything from the hanging basket? And he sent on a picture. I think the hanging basket still looks well, I have to say. But anyway, that's I, just... I certainly, but that was my first reaction when yeah. I saw it this morning, Trisha. I must say that if it's, it may be past its best, but it's still plenty plenty of, of colour in it. Yeah. Um, and yes, everything, in fact, in that hanging basket could be saved because uh, everything in it is a perennial. I'm going from memory now because it was eight o'clock this morning when I saw this one. But I know there was an ivy in it. See there the was ivy, golden, yeah. golden asmachia in it. And I'm fairly right in saying there's Biden's aurea, which is a yellow flowering one. Um, but all of them are actually perennial. The, the lismachia, uh, it's, it's kind of, if you planted it out, it would nearly become a bit vigorous, nearly invasive as a ground cover. But you could certainly keep each of them individually in pots inside during the winter in a greenhouse or a tunnel they'd also survive outside with the possibility a possible exception of the Bidens the yellow flowering one that he has that wouldn't be frost hardy but the other two would be uh, and you could use them either in the garden or in pots again and baskets again next year 
Okay, uh, good luck with that. But yeah, certainly I'd, I'd hang in there for another while with it. I wouldn't be dumping it yet. Uh, hi, could you ask Peter, how far back can you cut a grisselinia hedge? Also, second question, is it worth putting lawn gold uh, on the lawn at this time of the year? Well, lawn gold do a winter one. I think it's called Winter Protect, which would be worth putting on kind of from September onwards. Yeah, it's it's higher in potassium, I think, from memory, which is what you need for good root development during the winter months. You don't really want to be encouraging huge growth over the ground for, from now on, but you do want to, to generate a good root system. So, yes, but use the winter one is what I would say. Uh, and the first part of that question was, oh, the grisselinia, how far yeah. to cut it back? Um, you, you can really cut back grisselinia very hard. However... At this time of the year, we're coming into September, so it's okay to cut the hedges again. So at, in the September time of the year, I'm always slow enough to cut anything back too hard because you must remember the growth is slowing and whether we like it or not, we're coming into the, the winter months, the colder months, even though it seems like we're being cheated this year because we never got the summer months. But anyway, um, as we're coming into the, the, the winter months, you, by cutting it back, you're encouraging a fresh flush of new growth. You know, that new growth is vulnerable to, to frost damage and environmental damage. So I would really, in September, October, I would really only trim them. And if you want to cut them back hard, as I say, you can cut Grisinia back very hard. Um, but I would probably wait till late February, early March, the other end of the year, when, when the growth is starting again and it's getting stronger. OK, John wants to know, have you heard of something called minarets? They're used for small garden spaces. I haven't. I wonder, is it a type of rootstock? It's, uh, he's looking for eating apples and cooking apples and they're minarets. They're used for small garden spaces. He's wondering where you yes, can buy them. The, the, the minarets and coronets, which are they're kind of um, brand names for, for a dwarf rootstock. So without, without boring your listeners too much, Trish, <laughs> when, you're, when you're growing an apple tree, it's grafted, right? So what that means is you get the variety that you want, your pink lady or your golden delicious or whatever, whatever you're having yourself, as the fellow says, and you, you, they won't come true to type from seed. So in other words, you plant the seeds from one of those apples, it'll probably develop into a crab apple or something similar, which is lovely, but you won't have the one you want. So what they do is in, in the nurseries, they grow uh, crab apples and, and ones that will come easily from seed. And they use these then as your rootstock. So they'll graft the edible and the cooking varieties onto this rootstock. OK, mm-hmm. now some rootstocks. Of, the, the, so the, the grafted plant will then have the attributes of the rootstock. In other words, what I mean by that is if the rootstock is a vigorous tree that's going to get to 10 or 20 feet high, well, then the grafted variety will get that high because it's using that root system. So you have different rootstocks to give you different heights. So some are very dwarfing where you'll only have four or five or six feet all the way up to 20 feet and higher. So after that big big preamble, the minarets and coronets are realistically just, just kind of brand names, if you like, for very dwarf rootstocks. So anything that has grown as a minaret or coronet will stay below six feet. Okay. So... Uh, I know there's a nursery in Wexford, to the best of my knowledge, that grow them. And they supply, I think they supply most of the garden centres around Ireland. They should certainly be easy enough to come by. Yeah, if you pop into your local garden uh, centre, uh, they should be able to sort you out. Mary from Gagan wants to know, when is the best time to move a red hot poker? Want to move it to a sunnier part of the garden? 
And, well, it will need a sunny part of the garden, certainly native to South Africa, and, and really the more sun they get, the better. They're, they're difficult enough to move, in, not, not from any kind of horticultural problems or anything, just physical donkey work. They're, they're quite a big plant to move. But the best time to do it uh, is during the winter months. So sometime, let's say between, I would say between November and February, and probably a bit later, maybe maybe January, February, even the better than November, December, just as it's coming closer to the spring. But certainly not at the moment. Wait till the winter months. Okay, and with the 1st of September, and the time that people are allowed to cut the hedges. Somebody says, I'm about to cut my hedge. Uh, Should I feed them after cutting them? Yeah, but again, like I was saying earlier, you don't want to encourage too much vulnerable, fragile new growth. Um, So you could give it a feed, but it would be a light feed. I'd be more concerned about feeding it. Certainly feed it a small bit if you think it's struggling and if if it's looking a bit hungry. But if it's apart from that, if it's okay, I would even a very light feed or hold off on feeding completely until... um, Till, till the spring months. Okay, and someone is wondering, have you noticed, is there evidence of a change in the seasons? Because this listener says, I've noticed a Berberis Darwinia flowering today. Also, my hyacinth in a tub is starting to flower. Is there a change in the seasons already? There is very much a definite change in the seasons. However, I'm not sure what we're talking about there. And I actually, I was up in the beautiful Ansgrove Gardens in Castletown Roach last week, and I noticed a few... Um, rhododendrons already showing flower and they're spring flowering obviously but what what tends to happen is and it's not uncommon and particularly when we've had a bad summer these these plants like your berber starwinii and your your rhododendrons and things like this these are these as we've discussed before they they put on their flower buds now for opening next spring but they they could think because we've had such a period of bad weather that they're in the spring, if you know what I mean. So that does happen from time to time. Now, the winter will put them to sleep again. But more importantly than that, there is an ecological imbalance, which means that in the spring, plants are flowering quite a bit earlier than what they did in times gone by, which may sound like nothing to us. But actually, in the whole tapestry, it's quite serious because, you know, bees and other insects and, and birds have developed a huge, obviously, relations with the plants uh, and everything comes out at the right time for the for the bees to come out at the right time to pollinate the plants and to feed the plants or to feed the bees. Uh, and when this is being disrupted, which it is now, it, it, it there is an imbalance and it is another one of these unfortunate effects of, of climate change. And um, it, it's, it's quite a serious issue, actually, particularly if you think about it in terms of agriculture. If you were growing apples, let's say, an orchard for, for, your, for your survival, and if they flowered, too early, well, first they're at risk of, of a frost, more at risk of frost, but secondly, they might be finished flowering before the bees are out to pollinate it, and then suddenly you've got no apples. So, if from that, in the spring, the change in the seasons becoming earlier is an issue. Uh, what's happening at the moment is probably more just a bit a bit of interest more than more than anything serious, if you know what I mean. But there is definitely, definitely a change in seasons, yeah. Okay, and we'll finish off with some questions about roses. Firstly, somebody wants to know when is the best time to set roses and then somebody else has sent me in a WhatsApp of, um, I'm not very green-fingered and my father bought me these. I think they're roses. Uh, how will I save them? And I promise I'll mind them going forward and there are two containers with two roses uh, in them looking a little bit sad at the moment. I take it that they weren't fed or anything done with them. So advice on for the person wants to plant roses and then looking after roses? But do you know what? It's, it's one of the same question nearly. So when you're planting them, you can really plant them any time of the year because everything nowadays is grown in pots as opposed to bare root. And, and you can plant potted plants 52 weeks of the year provided the ground isn't physically waterlogged or physically frozen. So apart from that, plant them any time. But I would say autumn is still probably the best time to plant anything. So any time over the next three or four months. Uh, and the same applies to the person who, who got them from her father. And it's a lovely way to 
to to think of them then when you when you look at the roses. So plant them. I, I would say plant them into the ground. They will do better in the ground than pots because they're quite hungry feeders. If you have to grow, keep them in pots for whatever reason. Uh, make sure it's a big enough pot. Plenty of feeding, good rich soil. But the important thing is roses, like the apple trees that we were talking about earlier. Most roses, not all of them, uh, but most of them are grafted. So it's quite important that you'll see that graft union. Even in un- the untrained eye, you'll see it because it's just above the root system. It's quite a sw- swelling. It's quite a swollen point just above the root system. And it's quite important that that graft union is above the soil level, Trish. I won't bore you too much with why, but it's just important that that's above the soil level. So don't bury the roses too deep uh, and, and keep them well fed. Cut them back any time between kind of October and February um, and, and give them a good sunny position. And, and really, they have a bad name for, for, for being high maintenance, but really give them what they want and they're not. And they give loads and loads of colour and joy in the garden. And if you get a nice scented one, there's nothing like it. OK, listen, we leave it there. Have a good week and we'll chat next Wednesday. Look forward to it. Thanks, Thanks a million. That is uh, Peter Dowdle, the IrishGardener.com. Just a quick couple of texts uh, in on meat eating of all things. Hi, Patricia, on the meat eating debate. I really feel we produce fabulous meat in this country and we should not be trying to do it down. Or guess what? We'll end up with more imports. imports. The vegan brigade don't seem to accept that the foods they eat have more air miles than anything else. Just look at avocados, for example. Also, if we all were to go plant-based, all it'll end up doing is bringing more imports imports from other countries into this country. It's not cost-effective to produce vegetables year-round here. We need a balance in terms of this debate. That's from Michael. And somebody else said, Patricia, you should ask the Green Party and the other environmental people who are constantly putting the farmers and meat eaters and ordinary people down. What is their view on all of the people in the cities who have taken up lawns and are putting down concrete to accommodate their electric cars plug-in points. Is this not absolutely against the values of the Green Party and other environmentalists? What about the birds and the bees that they keep nattering on about? As for climate heating up, well, we just won't go there. And that's where I leave you for today. My thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon and we're back with you tomorrow morning at 10. On to then, I'm Patricia Messenger. Very good afternoon. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com.